Welcome to EdTech Adventures. Join us as we explore the role of technology, STEM, and creative play in education. With expert guests, we'll discover how learning is always an adventure. Students often read more off the screen than off the page. In this technology landscape, how can we build tools that help students master their literacy skills? Today, our guest, Matthew Mugo-Fields, will share how he has used innovative ed tech techniques to support literacy and learning. Matthew Mugo-Fields is president of Heinemann. Prior to Heinemann, Matthew founded education startups, Redbird Advanced Learning, a personalized learning company, later acquired by McGraw-Hill, that developed AI-driven curriculum and professional learning programs, and Rocket Learning, a national provider of in-school tutoring services. He holds dual master's degrees in business and education from Harvard University and is an honors graduate of Morehouse College. Matthew is the founder and board chair of Innovation for Equity, a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving outcomes for Black learners of all ages. Thanks so much for joining our podcast, Matthew. Thank you for having me, Charlotte. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Let's start at the beginning of your journey. Could you describe a memorable education experience that you've had as a student? Like many people who work in education, the call to the work is deeply personal. And so it should be no surprise that that memorable moment was from being a student. I was, you know, an immigrant kid from a low-income family who had some struggles when I first came to the U.S. And I had a teacher in seventh grade, Mrs. O'Gorman, who assigned the class a book report, you know, remember those days? And I, I guess I picked this book that I was really interested in about Muhammad Ali and impressed Mrs. O'Gorman so much that it, it literally shifted the trajectory of my life. She grabbed me by the hand, took me into the guidance counselor's office, said, we got to make sure this kid gets on track to go to college. And in a lot of ways, my work and focus across my career has been about sort of trying to pay that forward, trying to put many more teachers in situations where they can, you know, have that that moment spark for students and shift their trajectory. And so that's, you know, what kind of became a calling. So you asked for a moment, but I shared way more than that. <laughs> so she basically became your cheerleader in your education journey, basically. Yeah, not to, you know, get into all the nitty gritty details, more than cheerleader for sure. And that was important, right? You know, we all know now about how important belief is and mindset and all of that, but also just became a tutor as well and made sure that I was able to take on more challenging work. And then beyond that became like a coach and mentor and, you know, opened me up to other relationships and resources. And so it became like a team of educators who rallied around me and my brother. And even years after we were in their classes, they were the ones helping write and review college essays, helping us find scholarship money, even you know, going as far in my case of starting a fundraising campaign that helped me pay to go to Morehouse. And so way above and beyond the call of duty, which so many educators out there do, and I've certainly been the recipient of that. Right. It truly takes a village to get you across the finish line when it comes to your academic career. Absolutely. So, I mean, you went to Harvard, you got those master's degrees, you got your degree at Morehouse. How did you go from there to getting interested in education startups? Yeah. So it's actually quite consistent and connected to the story I told you, you know, the theme of my career has been, okay, how do I help, you know, many more educators be like Mrs. O'Gorman's, you know, who was my seventh grade teacher. I wish I could say it was purely like sort of my own doing, but I must admit 
that, you know, those educators who jumped in my life, they challenged me. They said, now you go do for other kids what we just did for you. And for me, that started as a tutor in my dorm room with kids, you know, from the neighborhood in, in Atlanta and eventually grew to, okay, I, I want to start a program, a tutoring program where we could, you know, help tutor more kids. And that eventually became an interest in the sort of the business of tutoring and the business of tutoring grew to become increasingly more and more technology driven in search of impact and scale. Now, I know you use AI and all these fancy technology tools to really help yeah. literacy, but before we dive into that, let's go back to the basics. For you, what is your definition of literacy? Yeah, I guess I subscribe to a somewhat of a classical definition by the book Literacy. So you think of it as, you know, the skills of reading, writing, listening, and speaking. So being really well-rounded in, in understanding and communicating with the world around us. That's how I think of literacy, and I think it's important to have that expansive definition because it also informs what are we after when we're giving kids literacy instruction. Uh, obviously, reading and writing, critically important. Reading, you know, the most important of skills, but not the only skill. You know, far too often writing gets neglected, speaking gets neglected, even listening as a skill uh, is neglected, <laughs> both in, in, in school and in many of our personal lives. That's a bit of a confession. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say grown adults struggle with that Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And a, a lot of times if you're not listening, like how are you comprehending the language, right? That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Now these days, most of our students are on mobile devices. They're on the screen all the time. What are the key friction points for students when they're learning how to read, even with all this technology? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think some of the friction points are those that have been longstanding, quite frankly. The medium may be different. It may be a screen and not a page, but you know, there's still many students who have a challenge with sort of basic foundational literacy skills, phonics and phonemic awareness. The process of sort of translating print to sounds is, you know, still challenging for far too many students. That's certainly something we, we're focused on at Heinemann and at HMH. But beyond that, there's also students who have challenges and friction around comprehension and understanding. Many students, you know, who are limited in their understanding of what they're reading because they lack the background knowledge, you know, they're reading something about farming and they don't grow up on farms. So what the heck does that mean? And those kinds of things. And that's a really simple example. But there are also, you know, sort of students who have exposure to certain points of view because by virtue of how their home environment is constructed and how that may be different than how things happen in school. You know, so those are kind of the, the skill-based friction points. But then there's also the broader landscape of education. And, you know, we got to talk about equity. We've got to talk about the sort of disparate nature of how resources are allocated. You know, as the saying goes, sometimes the students who receive the least amount outside of school, unfortunately, receive the least amount in school as well. And so that, I think, is sort of an overarching friction point, particularly as we emerge out of the pandemic years where, you know, the inequities in our system were front and center and exposed uh, in pretty dramatic ways. There were students who didn't have devices, didn't have internet connectivity. These things are no longer nice to have. These are basic foundational learning tools that 
if you don't have them, you are sort of systematically disadvantaged. And so I would consider those friction points as well. Right. And you mentioned the whole comprehension piece tied to them not being able to connect to the text. I personally have noticed also a motivation piece mm. of wanting to level up your reading mastery. Like, have you seen that being an issue or an obstacle for some students, especially when it comes to the equity piece? Yeah, I agree. I would frame it a little bit differently. I often try to avoid putting anything on kids when they're the ones not making the decisions and, and not speaking as much about their motivation, but talking about the engagement in the materials or in the instruction that we're providing. I think meeting students where they are in some ways, taking cues from some of the folks who are the best at doing this, like internet companies and social media and video game companies, right? And making sure that we are tapping into sort of those motivational mechanisms, like the rules of gaming and gamification, those kinds of things. I also think there's another dimension to it, which is about representation and having students, having content, material, characters that, that resonate and that they can relate to seeing themselves in the materials that they're learning. I think that's also an important aspect of how do we make sure that we're making the classroom environment and the materials we're exposing students to as inspiring as possible. And thank you so much for correcting me about motivation versus engagement. We here at Code Combat, we also try and shift that focus, but sometimes you forget because you're so focused on yeah. the work that you're like, wait, no, no, it's the onus is on us yes. to make sure. And that's why ours is all game-based. Like we also do representation. They design their own avatar, things like that, because we realize every little piece counts when it comes to engagement, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Now for literacy, then how can technology best benefit a student's reading journey now that we are aware of all those friction points? There's several ways that technology can play a role. There's the sort of basics, right? Which is like ensuring that students have access, as I mentioned earlier, to devices and connectivity. And therefore, you can make any room a classroom, if you will, right? You can, you can extend where learning happens. You can reach students. You know, think about one of the things that came out of the pandemic, right? Which is you know, a sick day takes on a different dimension now. You may be sick, but you don't necessarily, depending on how sick you are, miss out on a whole bunch of school. And, and for some students, that's really important, particularly students who may encounter transportation difficulties, those kinds of things. So I think that's sort of basic 101 ways that technology can help inform, helping students remain connected to learning opportunities. Then there's sort of the more instructionally focused. One key way is diagnostic and assessment, like having a better understanding of where students are specifically so that teachers can be armed with all the information they need to adapt or their practice to the needs of their individual students. So, so there's this idea of, you know, having technology help play a role in automating assessment and adding precision to assessment that I think is really important and not controversial at all. I think that's one of the biggest changes that quite frankly has happened in education over the last 10 years. There was a time when there was some resistance, I think, to that. Now I think everyone concedes, yeah, this is a way that technology can play a role. And also, by the way, and, and this is another sort of category that I would add, is opportunities to help unburden teachers from all of the heavy lifting and work that they have to do. So there's the 
assessment part of that, but then there's sort of the administrative part of that. I mean, teachers spend a lot of time and energy formulating communications that there are now, you know, pretty decent technologies that can help you communicate with home and communicate with your class and issue assignments, those kinds of things. And then last and certainly not least, and this is something we spend a lot of our time on now at Heinemann, is finding ways to help personalize the learning experience for students and doing it in a way, though, that honors the role of teachers as the essential, most important factor in the learning process. So I'm not talking about personalizing learning with students just sitting on computers and going off on these like individual journeys that are disconnected from what teachers are doing, but how do we support teachers, extend teachers with areas of practice and giving students access to books that teachers want them to read or giving students access to some choice in the process. Another trick around engagement, right? Giving students voice and choice. Those are some of the ways that technology is helpful. I know, I know that's a mouthful. I dropped a lot on you, but you can tell pretty passionate about this topic. Oh, I was nodding through the whole thing because <laughs> I completely agree. I've seen it happen in the classroom. And I like your term extension, the teacher yeah. extension piece, because I've been in the classroom. I've taught where during literacy, reading, like practice, you have students of so many different levels and having a teacher trying to just juggle 20 to 30 students needs at one time is almost like near impossible. Some kids are going to fall through the cracks. And so I love this idea of using technology to make sure you can extend and therefore also meet students where they're at. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say, you know, along those lines is accommodating different modalities of learning, you know, just because we believe quite passionately that there's a role for technology and technology can add some undeniable benefits to the classroom. Doesn't mean everything is technology driven. We still want kids curling up on a mat with a book and, you know, being uh, enthralled by it and jumping into that world. We still want teachers sitting around with a, a circle of small students reading to them. That's entirely still part of the formula. It's just that also some kids are going to want to like they're going to love doing that on a tablet and not necessarily a book. And we should accommodate that too. Right. I like to say it's an extra tool in your toolbox and it's not an or, it's an ant, right? It's an ant. Yeah. It's totally an ant. Absolutely. Now that we've discussed the current landscape of literacy, how has that impacted your initiatives at Heinemann right now? It's definitely impacted our work at Heinemann. So you mentioned that I took on the role of President Heinemann and as part of that process, did a lot of listening and, and really analysis of where were we exactly getting familiar with our authors and their approaches and our portfolio, really impressive, rich history at Heinemann of what we would consider sort of honoring responsive teaching. So this is a sort of pedagogical framework that really emphasizes teachers responding to the individualized needs of their classroom and then their students, and then meeting those students where they are and striving to drive not only skill development, but really human development, having a sense of meaning and joy front and center in the learning process. So those are the things that have defined Heinemann. And so we wanted to make sure that as we think about the vision for the future of how Heinemann could evolve, undeniably will include greater use of technology that we honored the sort of Heinemann approach and way of doing things that has been so effective. And so for us, what that's looked like is 
making sure that we're beginning to build out a common platform that our different curricular solutions all fit on. So we have this platform that we launched called Heinemann Flight. So you can think of this as the sort of the central access point for our curriculum that will help simplify teachers' lives. They aren't having to log into a bunch of different systems and learn a bunch of different ways of doing the, the same thing. So we're in the process now of migrating more of our curricular offerings onto that platform. We launched it this past fall with the release of the new units of study, Lucy Calkins K2 reading curriculum really was the test bed, if you will, for this new offering, this new platform. And it's been warmly received. We've had many schools already up and running using, accessing the reading. We have these incredible resources that are part of that new units of study program that really is focused on, as I said before, bringing together that sort of joy of reading with a focus on foundational skills enhancements and really beefing up for those earliest and emergent readers, their phonics and phonemic awareness skills. And so we're delivering that in part through some new technology. Great. And just so teachers and our audience can get a sense of it, what's sort of the breakdown? Like how much of it now the curriculum is found in the technology side? How much is found on the print side? You talked about human development there too. How much of that is sort of folded into this flight curriculum that you've launched? Think of flight as the platform where the curriculum resides. We have almost everything that we produce now in print has a digital companion. You know, one of the features of, for example, the new units of study program are what we call jump rope readers. So these are decodable books, different than the typical decodable books though, because these are real stories that are interesting to students and that have some real character development within them. So they aren't just sort of, you know, the, the classic decodable, they're really rich and students can read those in print or they can access them via the flight platform as well. I know you're really passionate about equity and you're saying how some of the students and the friction points are they're feeling disconnected to the text. It sounds like the jump road readers might be a, a solution to that, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of the things Lucy and her team at Teachers College did, which was so incredibly smart, was really prioritize representation, diversity, equity, and inclusion and made sure that there were characters and storylines in these jump rope readers that were truly representative of the diversity that's in our schools. And that's really resonated with teachers and, and administrators alike, folks who really, really, really uh, appreciate that. And so you have students with you know, different abilities from different communities, et cetera, who, who are represented in these stories. That's great. I love hearing when students feel seen in the stories they read. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's great to have an opportunity like that. Now, looking into the future, you know, what are your plans for Heinemann? And where do you think literacy and technology could go in the next 10 years into the next 20? Yeah, I won't give all the secrets away because, you know, we got some exciting things that we're working on. But, but safe to say you will be seeing much more in our work, you know, things around artificial intelligence, we think, that really have some real potency and some power around being able to help with assessment and being able to predict where students are going to be. You know, think of artificial intelligence, a lot of that's contingent on having amassing a ton of data. And so the more that we are able to have students using 
digital tools and digital platforms, the more data we're collecting. And therefore we can become even smarter about not only the trajectory that different students are on because we have enough data to show if student gets these the kinds of things wrong, this means they have uh, a likelihood of being here and there. But excitingly, we can then begin prescribing more sort of individualized pathways for students in a way that teachers are still in control and that they can you know, have almost like an AI partner helping them. So we're working towards that end. Obviously, we're working on making sure that we're bringing more of our portfolio onto our shared flight platform. So we, we have a really powerful and potent portfolio with Pontus Bunnell, both in assessment, curriculum, intervention. Those programs are all being kind of updated and migrated to the shared platform as well. And last and certainly not least, I know we're talking about literacy, but, uh, and Heinemann has to date been you know, focused primarily on literacy, but we have a growing math portfolio. And so we're excited about bringing our math programs onto the flight platform and, and doing all kinds of interesting, interactive things with math. Well, I'm so intrigued because there's a lot of intersection between those two subject areas, like those pesky word problems, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and wouldn't it be great if we found opportunities to enhance literacy skills, even in math class? I know, because it's almost like you don't want the literacy deficit to get in the way of them being able to conquer math concepts too. Absolutely. And then just given the moment we're in, I know you know this, but you know when we look at the impact of the pandemic and we look at the most recent NAEP scores, you know, yes, students undeniably have challenges in literacy, but math is the area where we've fallen even further behind and we need to address it. All right. Now, what advice would you give to someone who's interested in, in exploring literacy and technology, whether it's that teacher who's finally been like, yeah, okay, fine. Technology is going to be my best friend and it's yes. going to help me versus also people who are currently exploring how to use literacy and technology in the products that they're making. There are many teachers like the ones you described, you know, who they may have been, we call them sort of ed tech skeptics before, and then the pandemic forced everyone to become an ed tech user in some regard. And many of those teachers said, hey, this is actually kind of cool. This thing I'm doing over here, it was, you know, I can do it way easier. You mean I can have my assessments automatically graded in, in the following way? You mean I can facilitate assignments and communication in an easier way? Yeah, I'm on board. And we've certainly seen that in the usage patterns of our programs. I look, I would tell those teachers, it's almost like the technology is way, way, way secondary to what are you trying to accomplish instructionally? What are you focused on instructionally? And then view the technology, as you said earlier, it's just another tool in your toolbox to help you get there. And, and, you know, you don't have to do anything unnatural. If it doesn't save you time, don't use it. If it saves you time, use it, <laughs> right? If it allows you to do more of what you could do if you had infinite time, then maybe give it a try. The other thing that's really cool right now in our sector in ed tech is companies, I know we do this, are incredibly responsive to what users want. I can tell you how many you know, focus groups and ways of capturing feedback that we engage in to help us change and enhance the product. So I would say, even if God forbid you have a not fantastic experience with something, share the feedback. You'd be surprised how quickly things like that can change. 
gone are the days and i was part of that process where you printed a curriculum yes and you could not touch it for two years yes <laughs> and you just had to gather all that teacher feedback and going wait 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 you gotta wait two years and i think now with technology we're able to say oh thank you for the feedback that's changing next week you know yes exactly yeah exactly yeah and i think now i'm gonna speak like as an ed tech industry we have matured you know in part because our users have helped us mature. Our users have, they've gotten more sophisticated and their expectations have increased for how things are supposed to work and what quality looks like, which is fantastic. And so that's forcing us to, you know, raise our game. I love it. And really at the end of the day, teachers are our collaborators because of that. We collaborate with them to make sure the product that suits them, right? Only if you're smart, you do. <laughs> 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 All right. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being part of our podcast, Matthew. I sure learned a lot from our conversation. Charlotte, thank you for having me. It was fantastic. Thanks for listening to EdTech Adventures. Please subscribe to catch more of our episodes and leave a review to support the show. For more resources and info, visit us at codecombat.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Chang. We'll see you on our next learning adventure.